Welcome to the Free to Be Show. Tonight, we're going to round out the Ramadan series, Loving as a Believer, by talking about business ethics as a believer. And I just want to mention, um, with the exception of the rabbi, none of us are religious scholars, so it's not that kind of conversation. Um, but do join us right after this. To the Free to Be Show. I am the world's best joy monger. Yes, I made that word up. I'm here holding space for you to reveal your joy. I'm also the host of two podcasts, the author of eight books, and the mother of six children. Here on the Free to Be Show, this is your time to see in your mind and your heart whether or not you are truly free. So are you free? Let's see. And now I get to introduce my beautiful guest. So they have their own podcast called The Rabbi and the Shrink. And so I'm going to introduce... Is it the rabbi and the shrink? I'm going to introduce the rabbi first. Welcome, Jonas and Golson. And Thank then you, the shrink. <laughs> Good evening, Dr. Gori. Good evening. Hi, rabbi. Good evening. <laughs> you know, when it's so funny, when I was creating the um, the text for the for this show, I kept wanting to say the shrink and the rabbi. <laughs> like, you know, and then I was thinking, no, they must have done it alphabetically. So it must be the rabbi and the shrink. It just right. sounded funnier and better. Um, it's my show. It's a Dr. Rich podcast, but it just sounds funnier, the rabbi and the shrink. So, yeah, I love it that way. So um, I know that's that is your background in both cases. Uh, so I'm just going to quickly mention that. Um, Rabbi Yonason Golson is the director of Ethical Imperatives LLC, and he works with business leaders to build a culture of ethics. And he's also a TEDx speaker. And similarly, Dr. Guri is um, a seasoned consulting clinical psychologist and leaders and teams in business um, also and, and military organizations rely on her humor and wisdom. And so with that, let's let's just dive in. You know, before we went live, I was mentioning briefly, you know, there's a tie between all of our books um, where the the laws were first shared, you know, in the Torah and then the Bible and then the Quran. And um, that's where that that is a fun foundational groundwork for what we do now. But how are you seeing that show up? in our lives today. Doctor, you want to start? Oh, um, I think more than ever, faith is something that is a blessing. I think many people are struggling with their faith. They've been disconnected with this pandemic from the community aspects of many of their faiths, not being able to meet. And so that has often been the thread that kept people in with the faith. And I think people are rediscovering what do they believe in. And they're rediscovering what is their community. 
so we'll address that issue as well in terms of ethics. If you're disconnected from a sense of belonging, it's easier to misbehave. Rob, yeah. what do you think? You always have an opinion. <laughs> it's been a, um, a really significant change in our lives in so many ways, as we all know. And there's a benefit to that because one of the greatest dangers we face as human beings is complacency. We, we get into ruts, we get into routines and routines are good as far as they go until they start to stifle our creativity and we develop habits. We become, we can become calcified in our actions and in our thinking. And so we've had to recalibrate um, one of, one of the observations I made early on is that in, in according to Jewish law, there is a separation between husband and wife um, during the woman's cycle, wife cycle. And it's a psychological, it has a psychological benefit that husband and wife have to relate to each other without physical contact for a couple of weeks. And that forces us to be aware of how we have to work on ourselves in the context of that relationship. That distance actually ends up bringing us closer together. And it seems to me that for a while, the whole world was in that state of distance. And we had to find ways of coming together again, which that same technology that sort of distanced us to begin with now became the means of bringing us together again. So I saw something very providential in that. And on a personal note, it really led me to three different business partners that I probably never would have met, much less gone into business with, had this COVID, COVID reality not forced us to, uh, to reevaluate our lives. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting and significant. And, and I'm also wondering, like, similarly, going back to the relationship between the husband and the wife, um, have you seen more or less discord as they had to sort out that separation within the home? Uh, maybe uh, the doctor's more uh, uh, prepared to talk about that. But I think in the beginning, there was a lot of strain. I think over time, we found ways of, of sort of equalizing. Doctor, what do you think? I think the people who had the strength and the love and the skill to redo themselves and get closer have. And many people who are already facing crisis, this, you know, they lost this infrastructure of work and of faith and community and everything else. And it's been unfortunately a time of great increase in conflict and even domestic violence. So that's not so good. Returning now to community, people then have to find a way to keep whatever changes they made that were positive and bring them to the future and heal any negative uh, incidents and changes uh, and bring that to the future. Whatever the future is, we have to adjust day by day, week by week. Yeah, that, that's a good point. It's, a, it's always an adjustment, right? Um, and it's it right. If you do it right, and it's an opportunity for healing too, you know, and in both your responses, I'm seeing um, just the the opportunity that it created for being creative with community now. You know, in the beginning, uh, 
when you're talking about misbehaving, we saw uh, when people misbehave, it seemed to be squatted, it like swat down really quickly, you know, like in, um, in May of 2020, after the, the death of George Floyd, it seemed like that, you know, that one bad action brought a lot of communities together. And then people were moving towards a lot of understanding and um, and then that translated into businesses and organizations. They wanted to address or like, wait, what are we doing in our organizations regarding diversity, equity, and inclusion? And where can we be better? And where can we do better? So, what consultations have you have come through that you've seen with the organizations you were working with at that time? I think it's been an interesting time because many of the businesses with whom I've had the privilege of consulting have noticed that different leaders have come to the forefront to be creative, innovate solutions, brainstorm practical and not so practical solutions that more theoretical in terms of how are we going to save the business, save everyone's jobs, save the salaries and all of that. And many times it's been someone un under um, appreciated, whether it's been a woman, uh, for whatever reason, had not been noticed. Maybe the woman herself didn't speak up, or maybe it was cultural ignorance. Um, sometimes women can be invisible as leaders, uh, just because of the expectation that we don't see them, even if they're tap dancing and wearing red, white, and blue. I mean, um, and also people of, of different backgrounds, um, whether it's someone who had not been uh, considered an expert because they didn't have the experience that the top people had. So maybe it was uh, a labor union or something like that. Maybe the, the college boy finally gets to the top, or maybe it was a group where everyone went to college and then the janitor comes to the top because the, the janitor sees solutions. So it's been an exciting time. It's been a do-over. Uh, and I've, I've appreciated that. Helping people redefine uh, what is a resource isn't that all part of love? And we're talking about love as believers. If we do believe in goodness and bringing out the potential in everyone, uh, leadership has had a great boost with the events of the past in terms of realizations. Yeah, it sounds like you're, you're seeing more compassion and self-awareness coming into play. Yes. And like those categories of ageism, sexism kind of falling away. A lot of them, or they've been reinforced, and then they had bad uh, consequences because of that. So I, I think it's been a polarizing experience for many businesses. But I like to think that the businesses that are smart and caring, or even just greedy and want to make money, will remember that a diverse workforce uh, can be a more effective one, especially in interesting times when diverse experiences can be the difference between saving a business and going under. Yeah. And, you know, you talk, doctor, about love. <clears throat> and we don't often think about love when we're talking about business. No. Nope. <laughs> but the, the Hebrew word for love is ahava, which is related to two roots. One root is hav, which means give. Give in the sense of investment. When we invest in another person, that's when we develop a loving relationship, when we invest in, a, in an enterprise, a mission, a vision. That's how the concept of love 
applies to our businesses to have the passion for what I'm doing. It's not just, I'm not just punching a clock. Does anybody do that anymore? Um, I'm, I'm <laughs> yes. not just showing up to get a paycheck. Uh, I'm really invested in what I am accomplishing and what I'm contributing. And that's where diversity really plays a role because the other, the other um, root of love is the word lahava, which means flame. So what does love and flame have to do with each other? Well, the shape of a flame is that it's broad at the base and it tapers to a point. So people can be very different from one another, right? It's why opposites attract because the best partnerships are people who are different from one another, but they're unified by a common purpose. And when people come together in pursuit of common purpose, you know, what today we call alignment, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a new name for an old concept. <laughs> we're, we're complementing one another you know somebody said if if two people two partners are good at the same thing then one of them is unnecessary um, yeah <laughs> that's that's what diversity is really all about and if we if we have it that sense of it rather than just checking boxes which is what sometimes happens uh, then it really becomes something that is is beneficial for all of us together so from i guess a spiritual perspective <clears throat> we've all brought more love and compassion to our organizations is that what you're saying overall that's that's well, the opportunity here well that's the opportunity yeah um you know there's there's a famous road that's paved with good intentions and, <laughs> uh, you know as, as the doctor said um sometimes there's a polarizing effect when good ideas are not implemented in a wise way. And, and that is something that I think we have seen a lot of polarization in, in our society. And that's, that's something we can't just vilify people. Um, we have to understand one another. I have to understand you, you have to understand me. And, and it's, a, it's an individual and a collective relationship because we are sharing, we're sharing a country, we're sharing a planet. Uh, we, we figure out how to get along <laughs> because yeah. otherwise uh, we're all going down. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of the planet it was just Earth Day, right? So um, let, let's talk more about um, now that we're going back to work. There, there are a fair amount of organizations that are having work in person or offering hybrid opportunities. So um, what what can we do now to bring more love to what we're doing? Because I know human beings and Dr. Retchu, you can help me with this, seem to be creatures of habit, right? So now that we're going back to work, we can go back to normal, but normal is not normal anymore. So how can we incorporate love into our new normal? I think love is part of any, and I don't love the term new normal anyway, because I think it's it's just the new way or the new wonderfulness or whatever we call it. Um, I've never uh, thought normal was a great word. Um, what is normal? I don't think any of the three of us are normal. Yeah, no, I don't like that word personally. <laughs> I, I don't know. I think it's kind of a low expectation. Don't you, Rabbi? Normal. Kind of like um, average. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, not so good. I I see a lot of exciting things. I see um, 
talk about love. So love starts with love for yourself, right? And love of God, or if you don't believe in God, love in humanity, the agape. Um, I think YouTubes and podcasts, um, there's so much online that we can learn about ourselves. And one way we show love is by learning more. We think about things, we examine our feelings, we examine events, we talk about them, we get close to people, we trust people. Um, and I, I have this theory that um, whether it's a child or a business, that there's four tasks we need in order to bring more love. And so we have to work and play in whatever balance makes sense. It's too continuum, too continuum. Work and play in a way that makes sense for the moment and then giving and receiving. And if I'm just giving or if I'm just receiving, it doesn't add to the love. So if I manage this to continue a well, then it increases the amount of love that I give to the humanity or myself and that I can also access. Same with a business. So many businesses have been working on that. Uh, you'll notice that many of them have a Zoom meeting or whatever, and they talk about, hey, what'd you do for fun? So work and play. Um, giving and receiving. Uh, Rabbi and I had a great discussion the other day that many people are really great at giving, but they're totally not good at receiving. And yeah. yet, and actually, Rabbi, I'll let you speak to that because I like the way you address that. Can you speak to that, the giving and receiving? I loved your take on it. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you teed it up for me so nicely. Well, thank you. <clears throat> and it goes back to this idea that the root of love is giving. Um, and we say, we're taught from the time we're very, we're very small children, that it's better to give than to receive. Um, we don't always believe it, but uh, we're certainly taught it. And in fact, it is true. And certainly from the faith point of view, God is the ultimate giver. And we are the ultimate receivers. So it's clear that God loves us. How do we show our love for him? By giving to others. We give to God by giving to others. So if giving is the greatest gift, what's the, what, what is the greatest gift you can give another person is the opportunity to give to you. And, you know, I grew up with a father who grew up in the depression and things were very tough and he worked very hard and he became a successful businessman. And he, he was almost incapable of taking because his whole, I remember one time we were out to dinner and, and I reached for the check and he grabbed it, the other side of it, and he wouldn't let go. <laughs> like I had never taken my parents out to dinner in my life. <laughs> wow. And I wanted to do it. And, and, he, just, and he, he actually apologized for it later. Oh. Um, it, was, it was just a reflex. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, it, we can't, we can't live together in a way that's healthy if we don't take, because if I'm not taking, I'm not letting you give. Right. And in a business context, that means that a good boss, a good employer, a good manager has to, you know, we use this term empowerment, um, giving authority to employees to make their own decisions, to take responsibility for what they do to not feel like they're cogs in a machine, but they are actually active contributors whose decisions and ideas matter. I mean, if you create a, a business like that, um, you have a, 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 an enterprise that's just gonna be a dynamo. 
everybody's going to be excited. They're going to feel they're part of the team and they're going to like coming to work. And that's going to mean more to them than if you bump their pay up a little bit. Yeah, like overwhelmingly what I'm hearing is you want to give people ownership of their area of expertise, right? Because that's why you hired them. And the other thing I'm hearing is um, abundance, right? Love comes, creates abundance because you have to have that energetic circle of reciprocity, yes. the giving and the receiving. And, and people are not great receivers um, because of the conditioning. And, and we have it in all of our faiths. Like that example that you gave with your father, oh my gosh. When I go out with my girlfriends, especially from the Middle East and North Africa, like I can't, I, I think I had to trick one one time in order to pay <laughs> the bill. You know, it's like that. <laughs> so that's, it's like embedded in our faith. It's like, no. Faith and culture. Right, faith and culture in that case. Um, but in order for businesses to truly grow and expand and, and be abundant, uh, we have to let that go. <laughs> we have to, you know, give give up a little bit. You know, you hire someone and they're an expert in something, give them ownership, empower them in that. And, um, and allow yourself to receive their expertise, you know? I, um, I learned something from a group of kids who were on their way to jail. And there was a special program with the shrink to see if they could get away from jail. And there was one guy who was like a gang leader. And he taught the whole group something I will never forget. We were talking about why people don't contribute, why people don't follow the rules. What does it take to work with a society that you feel has not done anything for you? All of that kind of stuff. He told us all to just shut up. And he got a table together. He had us all put a table together. I didn't say he had finesse. He just had wisdom and put the table together and had everyone sit down. And then they removed two, two chairs and there were two people without a chair. And then he said, now this is about belonging. What do we do? Cause power is about making sure everyone has a seat of the power table. And I thought how, I mean, he was only 15 years old. I thought, mm -hmm. how brilliant is that? And so he came up with solutions for how do you make it so that the two people without chairs can sit. And there was a one right solution. Everyone brainstormed. And in doing that, he showed us something that I do with corporations when I work with them. I mean, you know, this juvenile delinquent uh, gang leader who taught me something I will remember and as long as I have a memory. See, and that that's the power of expertise, right? Yeah. How can he be a gang leader? Yes. Because he had that skill. He understood and leadership at a basic level. And he understood loyalty and belonging at a very basic level. And he taught us all. He shut us all up. <laughs> Literally. Literally. talking. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, and that's a good point, too, because sometimes we use too many words and it's really simple, right? when you just come from a pure place of love. And he, even though he was a gang leader, he was 15, right? So he still had the purity of a child, I would say. I mean, well, I didn't meet him. <laughs> what is a gang leader, but someone who loves his gang? 
Yeah. I mean, he was leading them like a papa in many ways. Now he had a, he was not the healthiest of papas, but he was doing his best um, to make things work well. Yeah. I mean, this is, this goes really deep. Um, <clears throat> I've heard that. Like your voice um, today, right? Yeah. Yeah. With, uh, with ch chimpanzees, <laughs> there'll be an alpha who is the head of the, the group. If he's too authoritarian, um, the betas will gang up on him and kill him. Wow. So he has to be able to uh, assert authority and still be accommodating enough to not be seen as an oppressive leader. So it goes way beneath the, 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 the psychology of the human being. It's something that's, that's very deeply rooted in us. Yeah, and you would think that we could learn from a bunch of chimpanzees. You would think, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we're really bad at that. <laughs> Look how many dictators we have, you know, around the world um, and in business. So, and um, in families. Look at how many dictatorial parents we have. Yeah. And or even children sometimes. Well, and part of us, you know, part of us wants to abdicate authority because we're abdicating responsibility. And if I don't have to make the decisions, then I can't be held accountable if they don't go well. And right. there's something, you know, comforting about that. That's but, a nice myth. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. As my mother once said, I have a twin sister. And I said, well, it's not my fault she made me mad. Um, <laughs> and I have to laugh. And she said, Margarita, it's 100% your responsibility to be loving. So how about her? It's a hundred percent her responsibility to be loving. Is that oh okay? Yeah, now you're really getting to one of my favorite topics, Doctor. Oh good. Is that you know we we talk in this country so much about our rights, and we don't talk nearly enough about our responsibilities. Responsibility, yeah. And in, in Judaism, it's exactly the opposite. There is very little concept of of a right that I have as as a human being. Um, I have responsibilities. And if we all stand on our rights, we're going to be bumping into each other all the time. But if I'm taking responsibility for your rights and you're taking responsibility for my rights, there's never going to be a problem. Especially if we go beyond responsibility to doing it lovingly with love. Then it's not just an obligation, but it begins to be part of our hearts, our souls, our brains, our, our everyday yeah, we we really have to go back to the, to our hearts and 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 offer the responsibility from there. You know, like I'm responsible to love in many ways and many people. So let's come back and we're going to take a brief break and we'll pick up um, with this point of responsibility. You owe it to yourself to join me on the big island of Hawaii for a six-day intimate and exclusive restorative and deeply transformative retreat. That's why I'm inviting you to attend the Hawaii Replenish Me Experience. Experience the rustic charm of the big island of Hawaii through the elements of fire, 
that the volcano, the air at South Point, and Earth at the sandy beach and water everywhere. There will be energetic healing with food and plenty of spaciousness in the schedule to allow for integration, for transformation and connection to yourself and others. Allow your joy to reveal itself. See you in Hawaii. So we have a responsibility to do cartwheels to show our effervescence. <laughs> Those were some good cartwheels. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I told you that on your show, right? I was yeah. like, I do cartwheels. So. Yeah. <laughs> now, so the viewers don't necessarily try this at home. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Disclaimer. <laughs> you know, after we talked, I went out. I can still do one, too. I don't know how good it looks, but it was a cartwheel. <laughs> But it's a good practice, right? And, you know, it's, um, I actually started re started uh, rehearsing how to do cartwheels because I wanted to play more with my kids, speaking of love and responsibility, you know, because um, I still have two little ones, a seven-year-old and 11-year-old, and I don't want them to think that I'm no fun, you know? So um, I thought um, one of the things I could do um, because it was really heavy. We talked a little bit about uh, families either pulling together or pulling apart. In my case, we got a divorce, you know, after 20 years. So to make things lighter, and um, I, I just tried to do as many fun things and things in nature. Um, and then allow the little ones to have responsibility, but not in a not in the way where you, you know, no chore chart kind of thing. I was just like, okay, so you're really good at, you know, folding, folding little towels. Would you <laughs> like to do that? And um, yeah, so this is just a small example of how, you know, I tried to make things lighter, even though things were really heavy here. Um, but what are some other ways that we could do that, um, like in an organization. Well, there's certain all kinds of team building activities. Um, I think one of the things that you need to do is ask them what they want. Ask the, you know, is it, if I'm the boss and I've decided that it would be really great if we all did such and such, and maybe I've scheduled it on a weekend <laughs> and everybody's going to have fun. <laughs> Nobody wants to give her their weekend for work, even if it's something that's recreational. And my idea of fun may not be other people's idea of fun. So, and just, and, I mean, this is always in every kind of relationship. Communication solves so many problems. You know, ask people what they want. Collect ideas. Ask for suggestions. And then build it into the work week as opposed to taking it out of um, off time. Yeah, integration is so seamless, but we we are in the habit of categorizing things, you know. And so, like for me, with my older kids, I had for me it was the chore chart, you know, and I, I realized straight away that 
I'm not going to use a chore chart because that's going to make everyone feel like they have to and they won't want to. And I want them to enjoy, you know, keeping things nice. Um, so communication, yeah, is always very important. And I guess maybe suggestion box, but I guess in a virtual environment, what a suggestion box, what would it look like? Well, a lot of times people send in ideas or discuss ideas uh, during a Zoom meeting. Uh, I know one group that was very focused on safety and they created a, a safety sheet of the day. What's wrong here? So someone wasn't wearing their PPE the right way. They were wearing their mask down here or they were working on welding without their, their you know, the helmet or no safety glasses when they're doing this. Stuff like that. Um, with, with a lot of companies, they're having more fun at what was the biggest mistake we made last week and make it light. We did this and then how do we fix it? You know, so I think that many of the companies are rediscovering a sense of humor. Now, in defense of a chore chart, I'm just saying. <laughs> some kids and some uh, organizations need things written down because people have different learning styles. So it it's not exactly whether you have a chart or not. It's how you present it. And I, I have faith that you could present a chore chart in the most fun way if you wanted to, because you're you have a fun spirit, I think that even a fun way could be dictatorial if you have a dictatorial spirit. So the structures are important, but not as important as the way we approach it and the way we follow through when it works well and when it doesn't work so well. Yeah, that's and true. And the and my my the dictator in my house is my seven year old, and she did create a <laughs> chore chart actually. So. I, and see, and I, I feel like I gave that opening, right? Because I was like, well, these are the things that need to get done. What else needs to get done? And she's like, I'll be right back. And so she like drew out a chore chart. And I was like, but I think that's a great idea. And you can even have a family meeting. What are, what are the chores that need to be done in the morning? And I break it down the morning um, before breakfast and from breakfast to school. Um, uh, when you come back from school to dinner, dinner to family time, family time to bedtime you know you can develop it how many chunks as you want and have everyone contributing like the rabbi was saying having everyone have their two cents worth and then finding a way to do that when my kids were growing up um yeah this had a lot more to do with my wife than with me that our kids started doing their own laundry from the time they could reach over the top of the uh, washing machine and that was just the expectation. You do your own laundry. You're responsible for your own clothes. And um, our daughter was more conscientious about it uh, because she was more concerned with her wardrobe than the boys were. But when my, my oldest son went to a seminary in Israel, um, he was there with a lot of uh, peers <laughs> who didn't know how laundry got clean. They thought you just drop it on the floor and then it reappears folded in the in the drawer. It's magic. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and and he had a little business going. <laughs> oh, nice. Charging okay, them is, to, to do their laundry for them. That is very smart. <laughs> yeah. I think having a fun spirit about chores that everyone pitches in, doing a five-minute tidy or seven-minute tidy. Um, um, 
uh, with my kids, we did a conga line. Da, 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 da. And we'd go from room to room and say, what needs to be done here? And we and the kids would shout out. And then they'd say, okay, go. And they'd scamper and figure it out. And we got the house done. And the main thing is do it regularly. Don't make it a treat to not do it. The treat is that you're doing it together for yourselves and for the family. Um, my biggest pet peeve is do not pay children for doing these things. And if you if you pay for an A or um, is the A yours now? You bought it. Uh, kids need to do things as they're part of a family that's full of love, joy, and a healthy lifestyle. Uh, so I'm way against paying kids for doing chores. Yeah, but at the same time, I'm I'm about paying them for having fun. <laughs> you know, pay them for having um, fun. Yeah, for having fun. Yeah, um, for for well, getting along. <laughs> for getting a, no, I'm I'm against that one, but we we could talk about that more. I think we can give kids money so they can learn how to spend and save, and plan. And I think that we, in a way, we reinforce when they get along because we're happier. We say, "Hey, everyone's getting along. Let's go get ice cream." That's not a payment. That's a celebration. So maybe I'm mincing words, Rabbi. I'm pretty good at that, right? Um, and so maybe that's a payment. I don't know, but I. I I'm going to, I'm going to stick to saying it's not, <laughs> that's my delusion anyway. No, it's um, a celebration. It's actually, it's, it, yeah. it's really complicated. And, and I don't, I'm, I've never really worked this one out having raised four, four children to adulthood. Um, the difference between when, when does it stop being a reward and start becoming a bribe? Um, <laughs> it's, it's really, it's really tough. It is all tricky, but I think that everyone finds their own balance and, you know you did right when kids learn to pitch in and they do it lovingly. If you're pitching in with your lower lip out and you're grumping and you know, that that that's that doesn't count. I don't think that's good. You have to learn to do it lovingly. Yeah, but ultimately I agree. They they do need to have money while you're still guiding them, yeah. Yeah. right? So that they learn how to create wealth. Yes. So we can all agree on that. Yeah, um, whatever money they get, uh, I think some of it needs to go for God or community for those who don't believe in God. Um, you know, I, I do believe in in giving in that way. Some money for me, some money for them, and some money for my future, put some in savings. And I think that's the same thing with businesses. We teach people how to look at resources and how do you allocate them. Isn't that one of the ways we show, show love in business or in a family? What are the resources and how do we allocate them effectively? Yeah, definitely. Even working um, between departments, right? Um, you know, how can we support each other instead of competing against departments? Yeah. You know, there's a certain compartmentalization that goes on uh, in, in, uh, in Jewish thought. We say that um, God decrees on Rosh Hashanah, the first day of the year, the day of judgment, how much money any person will make in the coming year. Well, if God's decreed it, why don't I just sleep in every day and wait for the money to show up? Because it's a partnership. And I have to do my part. So if I have to unlock the door of blessing by putting the effort that goes with it. And so when you get into the philosophy of this, it's really naughty that on the one hand, 
I'm working in my job. And on the other hand, the work I'm doing has absolutely nothing to do with the income that's coming in. Well, from a, you know, human, secular, logical approach, it just, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't make sense. But there's an underlying mechanism that is operating at a different level of reality. And so on the one hand, I am completely responsible for the effort I put in. On another level, I have no responsibility for the outcome that actually uh, accrues from my efforts. So it's like we, we have to be a certain way, right? Because we've already, everything's already been decreed divinely. So we, we, we do have to give up and we, we do have to show up in love and we do have to um, be open to receiving. And each of our actions and the things that we say, they create, they co-create uh, with the divine, our world. And so we're, we're, we're contributing to that energetic circle of reciprocity by showing up that's our responsibility but if we don't show up we shouldn't expect anything i like the way you said said that yeah an energetic (laughs) circle of reciprocity is a beautiful beautiful way of phrasing and co-creating and that's a beautiful phrase that's a meme waiting to happen (laughs) (laughs) that's beautiful you know it's interesting uh during covid or the rona um Mm -hmm. One of the things that I've noticed with many of our colleagues who are entrepreneurs is they've gotten into the habit of when they finally made enough money to pay for their bills, they would then like let down their efforts some like, okay. And so whether it's the first week, second week, third week, fourth week of the month, whatever, doesn't matter. They would like let the, let it down and not be thinking for the future because in the present they were so stressed out. And then it's kind of like the rabbi that, you know, so, so, I can just go to bed now, right? (laughs) And the whole point is, no, even if you have enough money, you can then now make more money for others or create the energy for others or for your future. So then you can do more with others or for others in the future. And that's hard to wrap your head around when you're exhausted. And I think that love um, certainly feeds um, an exhausted soul. So when we see ourselves or others that are exhausted, I think it's a good time to be loving and um, doing with uh, uh, Gary Chapman, I think it was, with the five love uh, languages, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. that you give love in the way you know the other person would experience it the most impactfully. And that's not an easy thing to do. Yeah, it's it's not And I like what you said about when you feel depleted to give love Um, because there's something that I've come to understand in this time. It's like sometimes the surrender is the surrender, right? So the surrender to to love, you have to love what is, you know, there's like, actually it's the title of a book that um, Byron Katie wrote, but I don't, I'm not really referencing her book. You know, but you have to surrender to like, it's this way. And I love that it's this way because in having that gratitude, um, you receive the benefit of it. And it, it is like a reprieve and less stressful. 
And I, I think that's a speech that um, who is wealthy, <clears throat> the one who's happy with what he has. And, uh, and then we really have to talk about what happiness is, because that's also deeply misunderstood. But uh, it, it relates to what you just said, is that we recognize that right now, things are the way they're supposed to be. It doesn't mean they can't change. It doesn't mean they shouldn't change. It doesn't mean I can't change them. But right now, things are the way they are supposed to be. And if I'm really at peace with that, then I'm wealthy because I don't feel I'm lacking anything. Well, and, then the and that speaks to what uh, the rabbi and I've been interviewing some fascinating people, including you. Um, and the, the idea from the Stoics is amor fati. It's a Latin phrase. It's love of fate or love of one's fate. Again, loving where you are now and accepting it. Doesn't mean you're not gonna to move to make things better, but if things are great, behave well and accept it. If things are not great, behave well and accept it. It's sometimes we have our biggest fall, the rabbi and I were talking about that, um, when we're at the top because we let our guard down. And we see Will Smith did that. He was at the very top, he let his guard down. And what happened? He acted like many of us on our worst days. And, you know, pobrecito, poor guy, um, he made a huge series of errors. And I think when we're at the top, we're sometimes the most vulnerable, not when we're at the bottom. And it's not, of, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's a really great point because um, being at the top, what is the top? Is there a top? I mean, when I think of top, I think of enlightenment. I think in terms of frequency, right? Um, and in our humanness, we forget that that's what it's all about, right? Um, we, we think that it's like, oh, I've arrived, I'm above all. You know, there is no, I'm the creator now, right? There is, there's nothing above me. And uh, staying in, you know, the frequency of joy just keeps us in an awareness that in order to, to have, to, to, to maintain that, I must be grateful and I must love. And that's what gives me the inner peace. And that's what keeps me grounded. Um, once I feel like I've achieved enlightenment, then I feel like I'm invincible and that's never going to be the case. Only to stay in gratitude is, is the only way to be. Yeah. And that's why wisdom is a mindset. It's the, it's the attitude of continuous growth and continuous improvement. You know, I, I just marveled when I read uh, Jim Collins' book, Good to Great, about these 11 companies that were orders of magnitude above any other company with success. And, um, and when I read the book, one of those companies was Circuit City, which is out of business. Wow. One of them was Wells Fargo, which has had scandal after scandal. There was a third one that was, that was also no longer around, you know, these are the, these are the paradigms of successful businesses over an extended period of time. But as you say, you let down your guard, you, you don't stay sharp. You don't keep that mindset of continuous growth and improvement. And there are no guarantees. Yeah. We're at loss, you know, once we, let that go down. So that that would be my um, my dictator knocking on the door right now. 
You know, fate is always knocking at the door. <laughs> or opportunity. Yeah. And and it, there's always an opportunity. And and that's, you know, that's what we have to remember. I think part of our responsibility in being loving as believers is remembering that everything is a learning opportunity. Oh, I thought she was really going to go away. Okay. Do continue talking without me because I'm going to have to just tell her something. All right. Hey, Rabbi, maybe it's a good time for you to talk about happiness. I love your take on happiness. <laughs> ah, yes. Um, there's, I actually just, um, just published an article uh, this week. Um, there are eight different words in Hebrew for happiness or joy. And they all relate to growth, progress, and purpose. Wow. So, it, and, and when you when you actually get into the the etymology, it, it's it's really inspiring, because um, I was just saying, Cardelia, that that there are eight words for happiness in Hebrew, and one word um, relates to budding, and another word re relates to blossoming. You know, when you just embark on a project, or as you are approaching the completion of the project. But the moment it's over, that's not happiness. Satisfaction is completely different from happiness. Because as we all know, you get to the end of a really good book. You get to the end of a really good movie. You get to the end of a really fulfilling project. And there's that momentary thrill followed by letdown. Now what? Now I have to start all over again somehow. And so having short-term goals that lead to continuous long-term goals is really the key to happiness. We should never want to be satisfied. It's like when you sit down to a, to a meal, if you haven't eaten in two days, you wolf down the food, you don't taste anything. If you just finished a meal, you're not the least bit interested. So you have to be a little bit hungry, but not too hungry. I can totally relate to that. <laughs> it's Ramadan. <laughs> there you go. You don't break your fast until tonight. Yeah, I do. And well, and I have 12 minutes. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> well, but you're right. With you. Yeah, you know, it, it, you're, you're so right because you cannot break your fast like, if you eat a whole bunch of food, you're going to get sick. So, you know, the tradition is a glass of water and three dates. And actually, I would have to say you are satisfied at that moment. You know, like you have to, you don't have a choice but to eat it very slowly. And that's pretty much all the body can take. And sometimes, actually, now that's the end of Ramadan, I'm like good with one date and a glass of water, <laughs> you know, and then um, we break and prayer and pray and then after the prayer maybe like another 10 or 15 minutes then I can eat but still like my my portion size is like this this is my plate now so like six maybe five six inches around um rather than the regular American plate so um that's true but do you find Cordelia that your hunger has something to do with how well you tap in to the meaning 
of the day. I mean, I certainly find this on, on Yom Kippur. I can gauge my Yom Kippur, which is a 25-hour fast with no eating or drinking. And I can gauge how, uh, you know, if, if I'm feeling, if I'm thinking about food, it means I'm not tapped in to the day. And when I'm really, when I'm really tuned in, um, I'm not even thinking about the food. I get to the end of it and I'm not even hungry. That's really true. I mean, definitely, I was telling um, Margarita at the beginning, I was, well, before you came in, I was like, you know what? I went into Ramadan with the intention of a soul healing. And I can really feel like that's happening because I actually haven't been hungry. And in years past, I've either struggled with hunger or thirst. Um, Cause just like, there's so many parallels to Ju Judaism and, and Islam with fasting and many things, but we, we do a dry fast. So there's no food or, or drink the whole day, but this Ramadan, I, I'm actually not hungry or thirsty, you know, at, I mean, during the day at all. So How wonderful. I'm happy yeah, for you. Yeah, it's, um, it's true. And I, and I think that relates to all things, you know, even when we focus again, like we keep talking, coming back to love, when we focus on love, it squeezes out everything else, you know, like, the disappointment, the expectation and all that, because we're coming from a place of purity as opposed to what can I get out of this, you know? And I wanted to add, because um, you know, I mentioned that, that love is related to the word for flame. You know, mm -hmm. Flame yeah. is the one thing that you can share without giving it away. Mm. One, one candle can light a thousand candles and lose nothing in the process. And yeah, wonderful image too. And that's the way love. And so when you when you said earlier that you know, respond to you know, difficulties and depletion with love, uh, it, it really you know when when you when you light more candles, you bring more light for everyone, including yourself. Yeah. And you lose nothing in the process. We can only light each other's world. So, boy. I love to end all of my episodes is by asking what is the one golden word um, that sums up everything we discussed today? Who wants to go first? Well, one word, huh? And the I, one think, word, um, yeah. I think the word would, is the word that I, um, I think would answer that question for any conversation. Um, the Hebrew word shalom, mm. which is usually translated as peace, is more accurately translated as harmony. Mm. And harmony is when all the different parts fit together and complement one another in a way that they fuse into a new unity. Thank you. Oh, what a great... I'm going to write that down. Well, I can actually listen back to this. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, that was absolutely beautiful. And for you? I think the one word for me has to do with thanks, with mm. being thankful. Um, I think that at the heart of much of love is a gratitude. Um living in God's love, in our family's love, in our own love for ourselves. I, 
I think that is the heart of much of what we do. So I'm going to stick to that, the spirit of the word. We hadn't talked about it, but, and then for me, the flame is going to represent that. I have an image. We have a logo now. Thank you, Rabbi. <laughs> flame. Which, which compliments that you're Dr. Red Shoe. So it works. Oh, yes. The color yes. red. The color red. <laughs> um, we love red. <laughs> um, let's see. Harmony. And how about for you? Yeah, that's what I'm. You know, I would say responsibility because we have a responsibility to to create harmony and stay in gratitude, you know? And I feel like we talked a lot about that too. So these are kind of the, um, all the operating systems that are happening underneath all the other layers. So, yeah. I thank you so much for being here. Um, I, I love you too. And I, I love the energy that you bring to any topic. I love watching your show. And we just adore you. And thank you for having us on. Yeah, thank you for inviting us. It was a joy to have you. Yeah. And so I um, invite all of our viewers and listeners to share this with another heart and with another soul. And remember to be free. Good night. Night. Thank you for joining the conversation. Now, Take the time to reflect, introspect, and implement at least one action. Be in your body, be in your soul, be in your spirit. You know, be free. Until next week.